Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, for today's episode that is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com for $10 off your first order. I can't recommend that deal highly enough, Frank. And I'm also very pleased to announce, for anyone that does follow me on Twitter and just saw my tweet regarding the leaf blower in the backyard, I can say... That operation of the leaf blower has ceased for the next hour or however long it takes us to record this podcast, which is good because now all complaints with the audio or any audio issues we have can rightly be directed straight back at you as per usual. Yeah, glad glad we're uh, we're back back to where we usually are. That familiar <laughs> place where, where I'm in problem. Um, I, I have to say though, was that your dad using the leaf blower? Who, who was that? that it was. It was. Um, I mean, I'll say this in defense of your dad. Um, as someone who acquired a leaf blower when I bought my house uh, I live in, it's an intoxicating, intoxicating tool. I mean, uh, you know, I don't like to rake things. I don't like to, um, you know, sweep things. And so, uh, you know, you get you get that leaf blower out in your yard. Um, just being able to, you know blow leaves wherever the hell you want them. It's, it's a, it's a pretty powerful tool. So shout out to, uh, you know, Mr. Pittman. What's your dad's, what's your dad's first name? Uh, Darren. And I have to kind of agree with you. I can't really be too critical because first of all, they give me a place to live right now while all this is going on. And secondly, he's supposed to be on vacation right now. So he's not working. I mean, fortunately enough, he still has his job and he's still getting paid. So that's something to be thankful for. But I think he's also at the point where he's just in the backyard trying to find things to do because they should be out at some uh, probably fantastic holiday location they had planned. So he's probably just uh, just trying to fill in the day like a lot of us are. Shout out to Mr. Pittman. Just uh, you know, trying to be productive, trying to have a nice yard. I mean, if you're stuck at home, you want to have you know a, a lawn and and a backyard that uh, you, know, you, you you don't mind looking at. I w- we are 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 the the having having a yard and a and a lawn. It's it's a double edged sword. Uh, I've I've had one now for four years, and it's. I'll say this: my uh, my yard and my front lawn they are not in as good a shape as when I moved into this house. <laughs> um, it's uh that's it's when we get to like day seven hundred thirty eight of the pandemic uh, NBA <laughs> shutdown podcast, we can talk about my, uh, my lawn, my yard, but let's, let's park it for now and uh, uh, talk about something that's uh, at least Bucks basketball related. Yeah. It, it might not be, it might not make anyone feel any, any better than you do about your garden. But for those that listened to, to yesterday's podcast, you would have heard me say that over the next week or so, we're going to go through a few different what ifs for the Milwaukee Bucks and for a franchise that, uh, let's be honest, has not won a lot over the last 20, 30 years. There's quite a few what-ifs that are associated with the Bucks. Yesterday, I spoke about the injury to Andrew Bogut that everyone remembers and what impact that had on that team, particularly that season 
when they were playing so well. But today, we're going to dive into Jabari Parker. And I, I figure we should start at the draft. And before I throw it to you, I, I do want to say, listeners of the podcast, and certainly you, Frank, have heard me say before, that I'm not a huge college basketball guy. I don't really set out time to watch uh, potential prospects. It's, uh, I always am just so focused on the NBA that I never really get into the college basketball scene. But this year I did. And I watched a lot of Duke and I watched a lot of Kansas. We knew the Bucks uh, at that point were going to have a high draft pick, hopefully in the top three. They finished with the second overall pick. And I will 100% say I was pumped when the Bucks took Jabari Parker. He was the guy that I wanted over Andrew Wiggins anyway when we were talking about who was probably going to be the consensus uh, top two. He, for me, was the guy that was ready to go. Certainly in college, he was he was a, a man amongst boys. And, and he just, to me, looked like a guy that was going to get you 20-plus points a game for the next decade, putting him next to the rising star already that you have in Giannis. I was very, very excited with this pick. Yeah, I was also – I had also ended up on kind of Jabari over Wiggins um, as, as my preference. Uh, and, you know, the real tragedy of it was – I mean, it's sort of an interesting thing. I mean, Embiid, obviously, you know, looking back, um, yeah. whether you look at the top three or even going past the top three, you know, going back a number of picks beyond that, um, you know, Embiid obviously is the player now from that draft. Um, and, you know, interestingly, before he broke his foot, I think he was going to be the player, and I don't yeah. think the Bucks were going to have a chance at him. So, you know, sort of the, the double-edged sword is um, – it's not really a double-edged sword. Um, <laughs> I feel like I, I totally overuse that, that term. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of those things where if he had been healthy, he goes number one. Um, and, and as it turned out, you know, it was a position where the Bucks, you know, you got new ownership. Um, everybody feels like, oh, man, we finally have that top, you know, top two, three pick. Um, we can't blow this, right? And, um, and so, of course – and I was similarly spooked. I mean, as much as I thought Embiid was the best talent in the draft, you know, just the foot injuries, you know, the history of guys at that size with, with lower extremity injuries, obviously was really scary, especially the specific type of, of foot break that he had, right. It wasn't just, you know, like, like there, there are foot breaks that are, you know, tolerable to, to, to kind of, you know, kind of carry forward. Um, ironically, Jawari Parker broke his foot his senior year of high school and, you know, but, but he recovered from that. It was not um, the type that generally had like these kind of really lingering issues like, like Embiid had. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, ironically, that's what gave the Bucks a chance to draft him. And I, I similarly felt like, oh, you can't risk it. You know, you can't, can't risk picking a guy who's, you know, going to be barely on the floor for the next, you know, two, three years um, as the Bucks, you know, at the time were trying to get an arena, a new arena built. They were coming off the worst record in basketball. You know, it was really the, um, I don't want to say the they were at rock bottom because I mean they had had the ownership change so there was obviously a huge amount of positive momentum and hope coming from from that but um, yeah I mean I definitely felt like hey I get it I totally got why the Bucks didn't want to risk Embiid and you know if it wasn't Embiid um, it kind of was obvious that it, it had to be Parker and obviously he was the kind of the kind of guy who's especially, you know, from a scoring standpoint, just made it look so easy in college and was just, you know, just like his just general instincts with the ball as a scorer were just very uncommon. And, um, you know, not that we expected him to immediately make a big impact or, um, you know, that, that the defense was not going to be a problem. I think there were 
concerns about that from the start. But um, yeah, I thought it was definitely a, a time of, of great excitement if you're a Bucks fan, just you know, coming off the season that they had and um, to, to get Jabari and, and to have the hope of you know, seeing what Giannis was in his first year. It was, it was obviously a super exciting time, uh, which you know, <laughs> it's, it's difficult to have foreseen what, what came then over the next four years. So I, I don't know about you, but when I, I think back to that rookie season, I, I remember watching the Bucks, and for the first time, maybe ever, the year before, maybe you could say I was watching games and I got to the point where I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm really only watching this for Giannis. I know the Bucks are probably going to lose because they're really bad, but the, the entertainment factor is all around Giannis and see if he does something cool in this game. But it was much the same in this this year, but perhaps even more so where I was like, I'm watching because I'm really excited to see Giannis and Jabari and whatever else happens in the game. I don't really care if Jabari plays well, I'm going to be happy and satisfied watching this game because I know that what I'm hoping this duo turns into, into the best is another three or four years away from here. And I'm fine with that because the first time in my Milwaukee Bucks viewing life, I feel like there's a genuine direction for this team to be really good. It only lasted 25 games. And this is what you talk about with all the concerns with Embiid, who, who also you know, wasn't playing at this time. But 25 games for Jabari Parker, he goes down with the ACL. And this automatically was obviously a huge concern for a guy with that body composition, with that size, with the way that he played and his aggressiveness towards the basket. Because he was showing some real signs as a rookie. He wasn't getting you 20 points a night. He only averaged 12.3 points. But over 50%, on his two-pointers, really wasn't shooting the three at that time. He was still proving to be a guy that already looked like a, a pretty efficient scorer in the NBA, and he was 19 years old. Uh, the thing that surprised me the most about Jabari as a rookie was I, I, I figured he would be you know, kind of a chucker. He would shoot yeah. a lot. He would be low efficiency, um, you know, come in as, as a number two pick and, and, again, not be a guy that, that helped you win games in part because he just was, wasn't an efficient scorer. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't help, but it was interesting sort of thinking about like the comparisons for him. And, you know, there were like the mellow comps. And I think if you're a Bucks fan, there was also like kind of the, the Glenn Robinson comp, right. Um, a guy that just kind of had, was a natural bucket getter. Uh, but, you know, with Glenn, I, you know, in hindsight, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, I don't know if any of us knew what true shooting percentage was in the nineties, right. <laughs> that wasn't really a thing. <laughs> that anybody thought about, you know, and, and, you know, now in hindsight, Glenn was a very mediocre efficiency score. Um, and so my concern with Jabari was, well, is he going to just shoot too much? Um, maybe he doesn't stretch out the three point line as much. Doesn't, you know, he, he never really be, was a guy in, in, that we've seen in the NBA draw free throws as much as he plays with power and can get to the rim and do, do different stuff. Like for all his, um, you know, sort of instinctive abilities, he did not have any real savvy about drawing fouls. Um, and so I was worried that he'd be inefficient, but, you know, I think the interesting thing that we saw from him in throughout largely throughout his time in Milwaukee, but especially those first couple of years, um, was an unselfishness and a willingness to kind of pick his spots and play a role, um, that I don't think I fully expected. Like, you know, we really didn't see him try and come in and be like an alpha scorer type guy. I mean, yeah, you saw that at times, um, but that was probably the one thing that I was most surprised about. And, and again, I think was, yeah, I kind of spoke to sort of 
you know, the fact that he was a guy that I think did want to fit in. And, um, you know, obviously that team was not expected to do much in, in his rookie year. And, you know, without him ends up going to the, to the surprise uh, playoff trip that they had. Um, but I thought that was maybe the most, the two most encouraging things were like, even though he wasn't scoring a ton, it was, you know, just the explosiveness um, and athleticism ability to, to, you know, get to the rim and, and finish and um, play above the rim in a way that, you know, you wouldn't have expected looking at his body type. Um, Cause I think especially that rookie year, he was definitely like, looked like he was carrying extra weight. Um, and that was obviously not, you know, I don't, I don't think in high school he was thought of as like a super athletic guy, right? Wiggins was the athletic guy. Um, and then Jabari ended up coming in and just, you know, he was just dunking everything <laughs> and, uh, and actually was, you know, kind of a different, a little bit different type of player than maybe we thought we'd get, especially as a rookie. Yeah. It's interesting to look back at that 2014, 15 season. And when Jabari came back to return, uh, I know Jared Dudley was such an important part of that team. And one of the reasons why the Bucks uh, agreed, they came to an agreement with Dudley that oh, we'll, we'll help you. We'll help facilitate your move to another team was because they wanted to open up those minutes for Jabari. And, and ultimately when we look back and, and we look at how big of a loss a guy like Jared Dudley or Zaza was for holding that team together defensively, it's, it's kind of funny to think about, but he came back and his 2016-17 season, the Bucs weren't very good. Let's just say that. But Jabari individually was having a pretty damn good season. 20.1 points per game, 6.2 rebounds per game. And the efficiency continues to be pretty good. 56.3% true shooting, 36.5% from three. And that was a really good sign for me. He came back the season before and he looked like a guy that had his legs under him. He was actually going out there and shooting the threes, which he wasn't doing in his rookie season. And all around, he was looking like a pretty complete scorer. Giannis also averaged 22 points per game that season. So while the Bucks were frustrating in other areas, particularly defensively, which again, where you can, you can tie whatever you want uh, that to Jabari, but the, the duo and getting to see them play together was exciting. But unfortunately, Chris Middleton missed the, the bulk of that season. And that game in Miami... Middleton comes back for his first game from the hamstring surgery. They only see the floor for six minutes together, Jabari and Middleton, and then Jabari's down again, which, if you remember, the Middleton ties to the first game where Jabari tore his ACL. Middleton ends up hitting the buzzer beater and the Bucks win in Phoenix. Kind of a strange connection with Chris and Jabari there. But this was a really, for me, devastating night to watch this game. The Bucs were losing anyway. I think they were 22 and 29 at the time. So I didn't have much hope for that season, but I really, really wanted to see those three together. And you had hope still that you had your two, three, four locked up for the next four or five years. And they just needed a chance to play together. And it just never really came. Zoom back to the previous year, right? The kind of post-All-Star break of the 15-16 season really did not look like anything close to himself in the first, yeah. you know, whatever that was, the first few months of his comeback season in the 15-16 season. And, you know, I think a lot of us were kind of wondering, like, geez, you know, I mean, we know guys take come back from ACL surgery, and it's not just, you know, the physical piece of it. Um, but I think a lot of us, you know, through the first few months of that season, were kind of like, man, you know, what's, what's kind of what's going on? When is it going to come? And after the all-star break, I, I mean, I still remember, you know, a lot of the numbers around that, you know, Giannis, Middleton, and Jabari each averaged pretty much the exact same points per game. They were all at like 
right about 19 points per game after the all-star break in the 15, 16 season. Giannis ended up having that run of triple doubles, you know, probably most famously um, the one he had against the Lakers and Kobe uh, in that moment, you know, where they embraced after the game. I think Giannis averaged over seven assists per game uh, during that, that streak. And obviously Barry was scoring, Middleton was scoring and you kind of had at least a view of, okay, how all these guys can, can be on the floor together and, and eat, you know, at the same time. Again, not that it was translating into to winning basketball per se, but you know everybody was so young that it was easy to kind of just get caught up in the excitement of, hey, something's here, right? There's talent here. It's just a matter of kind of fitting it together. Um, obviously, the concerns around Jason Kidd, you know, and whether he was <laughs> ever going to figure out how to do that in a way that you know would lend themselves to to developing these guys in the way they want. That was obviously starting to become probably more painfully obvious at that point. Um, but yeah, the following season then. Um, you know, really then really after that, uh, after that 15, 16 spring, um, we never really, again, saw that trio together at all in any sort of like really meaningful way, because as you said, Jabari gets hurt right when Middleton is coming back from that horrible hamstring tear. And then the following year, um, you know, Jabari basically is, is never kind of goes beyond being a a bench scorer, uh, after he comes back in the final year of, of contract and, you know, the rest, the rest was history, but, um, I don't know. I mean, for me here, my overriding th- thought on, on kind of the what if of Jabari Parker, um, I think there's three components to the what if, and, and I don't know if you, let me know if you think there's any other kind of big aspects of it, but I think there's, there's really three components to the what if the first, what if is what we already discussed, you know, from a draft perspective, right? What if you draft Joel Embiid, right? Um, I think it's a fascinating one just because of, you know, even if Embiid misses the next two years, in a lot of ways that might have been fine just because I think Jabari being hurt a lot really allowed Giannis to be kind of the man and, and flourish in a way that, that um, if Jabari is healthy and Jabari is sort of perceived as like the out-scorer type guy. So I think there there is some some silver lining as far as Giannis' development with Jabari being there. Um, and, and then, you know, disappearing basically because of all the injuries Embiid, you probably you would have had the same thing right because Embiid would have been hurt um you know would Embiid and and Giannis have been perfect complements offensively you know maybe not but uh, obviously the talent especially defensively would have been an incredible combination so I mean you you can only kind of wonder you know how how much differently the Bucks sort of whole evolution looks if if they do end up with with Embiid instead of Jabari but um but that's sort of the first piece of it the next piece to me um, I think it's sort of the red herring of this is the injuries. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people will say, well, oh, well, just what if, what if Jabari hadn't had those ACL tears? I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you look at him even today. I mean, we've seen it in his performances against the Bucks. I mean, the guy's still very explosive, right? Does he have the lateral quickness defensively? You know, has he lost something there? Quite possibly. I, I don't know. I've, I've always felt like Jabari's issues defensively are far more mental than, than physical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm not really sure that the the ACL tears necessarily are, are really that. But again, I think it's a little bit of a distraction. Uh, and again, obviously, it's very, it was super disruptive to his early part of his career. But um, you know, I think probably uh, I don't think it was actually like when I think back to the you know the reasons why Jabari didn't pan out in Milwaukee. I don't I don't really think the ACLs are necessarily what what I would really point to as being a major driver of that. And that gets me to the third what if, which is, you know, what if he has a coach who is Jason Kidd, right? <laughs> and 
Um, I think, you know, we've talked about it. A guy like Giannis, I mean, I think Giannis with his work ethic, his mindset, his, you know, um, strength, both his physical as well as mental strengths, you know, I think he develops into a superstar regardless of who his coach is. Um, but I will say Giannis's personality probably lent itself much better to working with a guy like Jason Kidd than Murray State. I mean, that's that's probably saying stating the obvious. And um, you know, it just especially after Kidd left, and then especially after um, you know, then shortly thereafter, Jabari's gone. Um, you know, no shortage of stories are just about um, how Kidd never embraced him. You know, kind of scapegoated him as for for a lot of their defensive problems, which of course. You know, the longer the kid was here, the more obviously became that Jabari Parker was not <laughs> was not the issue really defensively that they 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 were struggling regardless of whether Jabari Parker was playing or not. Um, so I I think it is interesting to think you know like if you get a Mike Budenholzer or, or anybody of that nature to coach Jabari Parker from his you know rookie year in the NBA, can they reach him in a way that maybe unlocks him a bit more? Whether it's you know, driving him from a, you know, physical development standpoint, um, whether it is the commitment and focus defensively, uh, you know, and even just obviously just sort of from an offensive standpoint fitting in, you know, famously kid basically not having Jabari and Giannis shoot threes early in their careers. Obviously that certainly wasn't a good thing you'd say for their development. Um, yeah, I think that's the, that's probably the one that is, um, I think as far as the, the, could things have worked out in Milwaukee side of it? I think that's the, really the big what for me, but I, I don't know. What's, what's your take? Which, which of those, you know, we already talked a little bit about the Embiid one, but any, any strong feelings about the injuries or, or the kid angles to it? Yeah. The, the kid thing is interesting because everyone that I've spoke to and I haven't spoke to anyone that's still in Milwaukee or still on the roster regarding Jason Kidd about this, but, but people that aren't in Milwaukee, so you can take that with a grain of salt if you want. Maybe there's some bitterness there. But everyone that I spoke to has said that he was not good for Jabari. He made it very difficult for him. He was hard on him. Jabari didn't take that well. And, and Parker has to take credit for that as well. I mean, you have to uh, be able to take criticism. He probably was in a position he'd never been before in terms of actually being criticized. I mean, this is a guy that's dominated at every level, but I certainly feel a little bit sorry for him. And you speak about his offensive skill set and what he can still do right now. You remember the game against Giannis where he was really trying on defense. I mean, we see it every time Jabari comes up against Milwaukee, but he played really well earlier this season. I think it was a career high that he had playing for Atlanta, but he's per 36 numbers with the Hawks this year. He's averaging over 20 points per game. He's a, a, in total, he's averaging around 15 points on 26 minutes per game. So, I mean, the guy can still get you a bucket in the NBA. That's always going to be the case. But I think he's a guy that just doesn't have that confidence anymore. That's what it certainly appears like. And I remember in his rookie season, he just seemed happier. And I think that the ACL was a huge confidence blow to him. It didn't seem like he really was given that confidence boost from the coach that you would expect or want at that point in time. And by the time the second one happened, it just felt like it was he needed to get out of there. I don't know how happy he was clearly at that point being second fiddle at best in Milwaukee, maybe third fiddle when you look at Chris Middleton. He, again, he'd never been in that situation before. He's still only 25. I mean, there is plenty of time for him to carve out a role in the NBA. The fact that he still can score, I, I think he's always going to have a spot if he wants to be that bench scorer. It's not 
the way that he would have probably hoped or thought that his NBA career would pan out. But I don't really look at Jabari Parker as a bust. And I know some people will. Second overall pick, you hope that you get more than the rookie deal out of that. But he had two ACLs. And this is a significant injury. And I, I certainly feel bad for the way that it has panned out for him. But I think the other thing I always wonder, I mean, when you talk about early picks like that, you hope at least as a franchise, even if things don't work out, that you can get some value from that. And this was really a, a number two overall pick that the Bucks got no, nothing at all out of. And that's probably the only tough pill to swallow from a franchise point of view is that not only did this guy that you hoped was going to be a 25-point Kamalo Anthony comparative offensive scorer that he was compared to in the draft, you, you really didn't get anything out of this outside of a couple of significant injuries that were, that were pretty heartbreaking at the time. Yeah, I mean, this is the great irony of the Bucks building a title contender. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the, the one high pick they had, they completely blew and, and literally, you know, have nothing to show for it now, right? I mean, um, <laughs> I mean they signed Ursan, you know, the summer that Jabari is the restricted free agent. Um, they sign Ursan to, you know, that, that, uh, <laughs> re, you know, non-taxpayer mid-level deal, which essentially art hard caps them, um, from, you know, going over the tax, uh, when they had, you know, pretty substantial uh, commitments. So pretty much daring the rest of the league to, to go give Jabari a, a big contract. And, you know, in, in some ways it's kind of interesting to look back that the bulls gave him, you know, $20 million a year. Um, any grand only, only one of those years is guaranteed, but, um, you know, the fact that he's still got that, that big number, even with all the questions is, is pretty interesting. The, the kid stuff is, is also interesting because it's like, you know, I think everybody who follows him closely has heard just the lack of connection there and, um, you know, Jabari and I, I, he's still one of the most difficult to peg guys that I can recall coming through Milwaukee and then maybe, maybe he was just very, maybe, maybe I'm completely overstating him. Maybe he was just a really easy guy to peg, but just not in the way that we wanted to. Um, Cause he seemed this kind of strange combination of um, like introvert and extrovert. Like there were, you know, like his, his post game interviews, literally a guy that like it, it made no sense half the time what he was saying um and then but if you asked him about things that were not basketball it seemed like he would be instantly way more engaged and i just and i i still don't really know what to make of all that you know it's it's just literally a guy that i just don't know mentally what kind of was always going on in his head um and and it's strange because you know I mean you hear stories that he was a good student in high school he goes to Duke, um, you know he but but somehow just you know as far as understanding what it took to be you know uh, defensively like a tolerable play like <laughs> just you know just just the lack of of awareness and stuff like that is that's what always frustrated me the most is just it felt like you know the easy stuff just seemed to come so hard to him, you know, and like, like literally just pay attention, <laughs> like compete, you know, yeah. um, uh, just, just stuff like that. Um, just was always very baffling with him. And, and, uh, and it just never seemed like he, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, you kind of wonder, you know, I mean, with a guy that was so good so early in his career, you know, had the microscope on, on him from the start in high school. Um, you just sort of wonder, like, how much that just wears on people. And, and you know, did that kind of spark a, a degree of distrust in, you know, the media? And is that partly why he, you know, was always so hard to peg? You know, I think I just remember the story of, you know, he, he scored his career high at the time, 36. And it was against the Rockets in a game the Bucks win. And I think he disappeared. He didn't even stick around for interviews, right? <laughs> it's just, just, just so, just kind of a weird moodiness about him, um, which all kind of came to a head really during the end of the season, during the end of the last game of his career, right? I mean, we think back to that uh, Celtics series where he basically was, you know, whining about not playing enough. Uh, even when he was really not playing well at all. And, you know, it's sort of like, dude, you know, if you're coming off the bench and you're pissed off that you're not playing enough, not trying on defense really isn't the way to win more minutes. And, you know, they lose the first two games in Boston. And then, you know, you saw this shot of, of adrenaline, this shot of life in Milwaukee. And, you know, he played a, a real role in, in, on both ends, you know, for like maybe a quarter and a half or a game and a half <laughs> at least. <laughs> and, um, you know, unfortunately that, that was really the last, the last glimpse we saw in Milwaukee, obviously of he had had, um, you know, years earlier coming, coming out of the draft and being, being what we had hoped would be, you know, that, that guy that would turn the, the tide of the franchise. And ironically, you know, he kind of was, he did sort of represent a turning point for the franchise, but not in a way that, that certainly any of us really expected. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's just a weird, just a very strange, just a very strange, curious story for him in Milwaukee. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, he's, it's, it's just been strange watching him bounce, you know, from team to team now, um, since he, since he left Milwaukee. I mean, it's hard to believe, right. That since, you know, what was it? Two years ago, he leaves Milwaukee and he's been on four teams since then. Um, and, you know, the flip side is, I mean, if they, if they sign him to even like a quote unquote, you know, cheap deal, right. I mean, let's just say for sake of armory, they got him to sign for three years, $30 million. Well, we all know what happened last summer with, with keeping together, you know, the title contending team that the Bucks had every dollar mattered. right? Um, and so it really was critical that they get rid of him because it freed up money to, to go to other stuff. Now you could say, well, just don't sign Ursan, right? Right. Okay. But now that, that, I, I won't, I won't argue against that given, given what, what I've said before, but you know, um, I also would say Ursan probably contributed more to more mm-hmm. winning in Milwaukee that's, that's than, than Jabari yeah. has. And, and I think the other pieces too is, you know, it's just, I mean, where, where does Jabari Parker fit? Uh, you know, had he, had he stuck around, um, on the one hand, I have to give him credit. He's not a ball stopper, right? I think people probably had a had a, had a misconception of what he might be when all comparisons. Um, he actually makes very quick decisions, passes very quickly. Sometimes, you know, I think when he came back from the first ACL, it was almost like he was playing hot top potato at times. Like yeah. he wanted to try to do stuff. Was always, I think, a, per, a pretty disappointing ISO scorer, um, but obviously was able to do other things um, you know, as more of an off ball guy rather than just like a, you know, throwing the ball and let him go work type player, which, which is interesting because even though he, you know, has become, you know, obviously if he has a forte, it's as a score, 
but it really isn't necessarily in the way that that necessarily people thought he might be. Um, He's much more of a role-playing scorer, even though he has been high volume at times, which I think he deserves at least some credit for, even if, you know, he maybe isn't, doesn't have some of the skills that that you would have liked for him to develop. But so, I mean, I I think that's the thing you, you know, I think you can play him with other scorers. Again, stopping the ball, he's not not passing. Um, but positionally, obviously, you know, especially once Chris, um, you know, Chris was sort of shoehorned into the shooting guard slot during much of Jabari's time starting. Um, and when he left, obviously that allowed them to, to play Chris more at the three and Giannis push up to the four, um, which obviously is, you know, that works pretty well. <laughs> the combination has worked pretty well. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, just where Jabari fits and all that, obviously you would say now he doesn't, at least not, you know, he wouldn't as a, as a starter. So, um, you know, again, the world works in mysterious ways. I, I don't know what will become of Jabari's career. I mean, obviously he's still a young guy or at least not an old guy. He still has years and years left. Um, uh, hopefully that, you know, he'll have in the NBA, but, um, you know, I think we're, you're now seeing once, once the sheen of being a top pick wears off and, you know, nobody has invested in you heavily. Um, now you're just kind of a guy that has to earn his minutes wherever he goes. And, and that's just a much harder place. To be. Uh, and I think he definitely showed some nice things in Atlanta, but then, you know, they want to make some moves and he ends up in Sacramento and, you know, what barely played and, you know, averages 10 points a game when he did. Right. I mean, it, it's just a, uh, it's just a very, um, very different, very different life compared to, um, yeah, I mean, he played one game in Sacramento. I was going to say, I don't even remember playing in Sacramento. He played one, one game. Um, you know, it's just a very different life versus, you know, when you're that second overall pick. I mean, say what you want about Kid. Kid started him pretty much every game. Um, you know, he came in and was an immediate starter. Giannis was not. Keep in mind, right? Giannis was not starting at the beginning of that now. Um, so he had whatever friction there was with Kid. He also had an extremely long leash, you could say. Um, it was not like he was a guy that wasn't getting minutes or something like that. So, yeah, just one of the more complicated careers that we've seen in Milwaukee. And um, obviously a disappointing one for sure. But, you know, again, his the book is not closed on his career. But, you know, I, I'd say um, he will he will definitely have to, to earn it. And, you know, I think he, he uh, you know, is Jabari Parker going to be a, a regular starter anywhere um, moving forward, like on a winning team, I, I would say he probably needs to become a different type of player, you know, and, and evolve in ways that we just haven't, he has yet to show the capacity to do so, um, so far. Yeah. Just on the media side of things, I, I can tell you that on all those teams that he's been on, whether it's Chicago, uh, Washington, Atlanta, or Sacramento, I've sent emails to all those teams in regards to, to getting in, in touch with Jabari. And the email always comes back very quickly and basically just says, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. And uh, it's almost like the, the, I send the email exactly knowing what's going to happen. And when I get that response, I'm like, yeah, fair enough. I understand that. He probably wouldn't have spoke even if he was in Milwaukee. He, uh, he's a little strange like that. But I think overall for him, and I want to give one last shout out because you did mention the 15-16 season or the end of that season. Shout out to Miles Plumley, who was the, the biggest beneficiary of that late season run, collecting $50 million from John Hammond. So shout out to him. Uh, last scene in Australia playing for the Perth Wildcats. But I, I think it's, it's crazy to think where the Bucks are now as a championship contender. And obviously Giannis has got to heights 
that many probably didn't imagine he could get to. But if you had have asked me back on draft night there or even through his rookie season, Jabari's rookie season pre-injury, if the Bucs were going to be a championship contender and Jabari Parker would not be on the roster and the Bucs would get absolutely nothing for him, I wouldn't have believed it was possible. So it's funny the way things work out. But nonetheless, I think Parker is always going to be a what-if for Bucs fans. And let us know how you feel about Jabari Parker and what you think the Bucks should have done or could have done differently. You can get us at Locked On Bucks, but we'll leave it there for now. Reminder, today's episode was brought to you by BuiltBar.com. You can get $10 off your first order using the code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. But Frank, that was uh, kind of fun. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a depressing topic because we, <laughs> we, we hoped that things would pan out differently. But I also find it much easier to talk about these things with the Bucks in the situation they're currently in. It makes it, it makes it a little less depressing, but we've got plenty more. I'm not sure how many positive what-ifs we're going to be able to go through, but we're going to go through a few more over the next few weeks. So thanks again for you for joining. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll catch you guys tomorrow.